0: Shakespeare, uh, you always want a good Shakespeare quote that gets the crowd right with you. Um, King, especially if it's in a minor play. King Henry IV, um, rather, has a character say, I, I would thou and I knew where a good uh, commodity of names were to be bought. One of the hardest things to do is to find a good name. And Shakespeare talks about in that play how easy it is to lose a name, but how hard it is to get a good name. We have a lot of selections of names from which to choose when it comes to God. But today I'd like to start with the first one, and the most basic, and the one where He introduces Himself to mankind in that far-off kind of dance way, rather than being right up front. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 1, the Scripture tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God it's a generic name there. It doesn't only refer to the God that we call God. It's a name that was already very well known. Everybody that worshipped anything called it El or Elohim. So God says, "Let me introduce myself to you. The one we call God is mentioned by the name Elohim three thousand. Well, the, let me back up. That name is used three thousand times in Scripture." 2,300 of those refers to the one we call God. 700 refers to pagan gods or, de- or uh, kings acclaimed claimed that they were gods. It's a general, general name. We could use the same, by the way, uh, way of studying the word with the word spirit. Very often in your Bible, when you read something about a good spirit or a bad spirit, that good or bad has actually been supplied by the translator. Because the word spirit is just spirit. And you have to figure out from the context whether this is a good one or a bad one. The same with God. In Exodus 34, the name is used for idols. In Psalm 82 and John 10, it's used to refer to men, a power. In Psalm 8 and Psalm 97, it's used to refer to angels. And even to judges in Exodus 22. The word implies L- It implies great power, great authority. And when we first find this in Scripture, what's going on? Creation, the fourth word in our Bible, and the beginning, God. As God then burst upon the scene, he uses this name and he keeps going back to that name. In fact, 35 times in the first two chapters of our Bible, he goes back to it to supply a a way for us to think of who he is. Who is he? He is the creator. He is the power. He's the organizer of all that you see. And that was an incredibly important corrective. Let me explain. When Genesis 1 and 2 were written, the world had already been going for some time. Remember, it's not a first-hand account of a guy saying, you know, I'm there for eyewitness news and God said this. The world had been gone for a long time, and they had developed some creation myths, like the Gilgamesh Saga and many others, that were very well known, widespread all over the world. They were so different from what you find in Genesis 1 and 2. The creation of the universe in these sagas was as a result of battle, fighting, backbiting, gods tearing each other apart, literally, and their body parts becoming different planets. it, It was just all violence, not planned chaos. And so another story is told. Let me introduce myself, God says to us. I am God. I'm the one you've been talking about. But this is how I did it. It was on purpose. I brought light out of darkness. I brought order out of chaos. And I brought beauty and artistry. Well, I don't think we talk enough about the artistry of God and the beauty of what he made, and why he would do such a thing, and design such a system that the beauty replicates and changes and becomes new beauty. I believe that Genesis 1 and 2 was an answer to the world's views on creation. I don't believe he was trying to give us a scientific treatise. I think he was saying, no, God does exist, but the God that exists didn't invent this world by accident. It did not come about by combat. It came about by the will and word of the true God. Think of Paul on Mars Hill in Athens when he had to look about and say, I see you're very religious, but you've missed one. Let me tell you about the one you missed. That's what Genesis really is. And so the word El, or the plural word Elohim, comes back time and time again. In Psalm 68, the word occurs 26 times. If your small group is struggling for something to read this week, go to Psalm 68 and look for the 26 times the name God shows up. And the reading Lily just did for us, the name God shows up, not only one name, but several names of God keep popping up there to say he is this, he is that. Now think about that. There's, there's a Facebook meme going about right now. There always are. And people jump on it, and they always start by saying, I never do these things, but. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Every day. Stop it. But, um, and and the one right now says, here are the four names uh, that people call me. And I'm going, well, I'm out, uh, because I don't want to write those names. But everybody here has names. I mean, my my grandsons were with us for a couple of days this week. And my five-year-old grandson, talking to somebody else, said, about his, uh, his sugar, Cammie, his grandmama. She calls us darlings. Well, there, there's a name for you. Well, why do we have different names? Because of different parts of our job. I am grandda, but I'm also da, or da, uh, to my, my kids. I'm also the preacher here. It's always interesting whenever I go to places and people introduce me from here, because you don't really know what to say. Because we're, we're Church of Christ-ish, but we're... <laughs> But we're not. And so you can see them. This is Patrick, and he's our. And they don't know whether to say pastor, preacher, minister, or guy who goes to church with us. But they're working on it. Whenever the names of Jesus or God are given to us, they're giving different aspects of their jobs, different aspects of their character. But there's another version of the name, L, in Scripture, and I already mentioned it a couple times. It's the first version of the name they would have heard in hearing Genesis 1. Elohim. It's plural. If you read it linguistically, strictly, let's say, you'd be reading, "...in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth." Now, that does not mean that the Bible teaches that there are many gods out there and we can just choose the one we want to worship. What it means is, from the first verse, we are informed that there is a God and he is plural. That doesn't really work with English language, but it does work here. In fact, take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule, and you know the rest of that. But who was he talking to? I've had people say angels. Angels did not create. I've had other people say, it's the royal we. That one kind of tickles me, because only Americans say that. Because um, they, they imagine that the queen is always going, we are not amused. No, um, <laughs> she rarely does. That was a perfect, that was perfect, by the way. That was I could go on the road and make money with that. But no, I'll serve you. See, there you are. Take a look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God, and He was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, who's it talking about? Jesus, right. But didn't it say God did it in chapter 1? Yes. But God is not singular. God is plural. God has always worked in community. Now, take a look at Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 2. And the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all involved. Take a look now at Job chapter um, 26, verse 13. By his breath, that means spirit, the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. Speaking of the future time, when God knocked down the devil. But here you have the spirit again. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are God. Now it seems to be a contradiction and some people say, I just can't get my head around it. You don't have to. You just have to believe it. Now if you're thinking, oh, that's you're just asking me to simply believe and that's not what intelligent people do. Oh yeah, they do. Oh, sure. Later this afternoon I'll be climbing on a plane and flying to Texas. That's an act of faith. Not just in the transportation, but the destination. Texas is full of tall cowboy people with weapons. I fit right in. Um, Do I understand how a plane flies? The basics? Yes, I do. Uh, Do I know how to fly that plane? No. Do I have faith that the guy knows how all the processes involved in flying the plane? I do, yeah. How about the ground crews? Got it. I, I have confidence in them. I don't have to understand everything to believe. Got it. I got it. The same with this. We know, in our little world of physics, one cannot be three and three cannot be one. But in quantum physics, we know that whenever the world gets too small or too big, the world that we know, our physics breaks down, but quantum physics works. How big does God have to be? He's pretty big. Three is one and one is three. Elohim. And when he uses the word Elohim to describe himself, It usually is applying to himself creative power, glory, and the fullness of God. All of him. All of us made this decision. This was our community. One of the names we're going to take a look at for God later is Lord of Hosts. We're going to even take a look at the phrase, the council of the holy ones. God has always worked in community. He didn't give permission for any of us to be lone rangers. He works in community. He is an Elohim. God is the majestic ruler, omnipotent, artist, creator. When you see the word Elohim, now we why is it pronounced Elohim? You don't have to, you can pronounce it Elohim. But Elohim is the way that the Jews would pronounce it. That's a way of making it plural. El is singular, Elohim, plural. Every time you see it, think artist, glory, splendor, ruler omnipotent. But there's something else going on here. More than just a hint of the Trinity, some scholars believe that God was trying to tell us that all the attributes that we assign to powers and worship and leaders rightly belong to God. He is all of it. Besides Him, He will say, there is no other. If you bow down elsewhere, you're pointed the wrong direction. Elohim is all the God we have. Who we worship as broken, scattered, and local, we need to turn around and worship He who is universal, unified, whole. In the Bible, people had a long time getting this. One guy, in fact, went to battle Israel, fought him in the mountains and lost, and thought, oh, Their God must be a God of the mountains. Let's fight him on the plains. They thought God was localized. God is saying, I am all of it. I'm the only God that is. In fact, he does not belong to any people, any place, any time. The people, places, and time belong to him. We've really got to get off our our high horse of what I call chronological arrogance, and that is the whole world's been building up to us, this generation, and this point. Many of you have heard speeches to this effect because you went to graduations. Every graduation, it seems, somebody will stand up and say basically something like, you've got your high school degree, the world is yours, go take it. <coughs> really? <laughs> Can I watch? <laughs> it's, it's not like that, is it? Not to disparage their, their accomplishment, but the fact is, this world isn't ours, and it's not about us, it's about him. Elohim. We've got to bow the right direction. He is the totality of all gods, all power, all rule. But also, giving us this name, though, does us a great favor. It saves us the bother of looking for another god. It saves us the bother of trying to create our own gods. I went into a, a friend's house once who was a physician, well-known, well thought of. And I walked into uh, the living room. I can't remember why. I, I, we were just stopping there for a bit and then going on somewhere. And I looked over because it was, it was odd. Over here on a low shelf was a collection of little idols. I went, huh. And he came back into the room. I said, what's that? And he goes, oh, that's where I, I worship and meditate. And I looked over and I said, why these guys? And he says, well, I, you know, I, I wanted to create my own set that, that matches what I do and my life and the like. And I'm, I almost didn't, have, almost didn't have the heart to tell him, um, these guys don't like each other. That God fights that God. If you read about this one, that God thinks that God doesn't exist. You know, and you put them all in the same thing, it's going to be hard to worship this crowd. I talked to another uh, young lady in medical school, who, after several days of talking, she said, "I think you're getting me to the point where I need to to think about believing in God. But when I believe in God, it will not be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." I went, "Huh? Why is that?" And she went on about how she thought that they were uh, anti-women and the like. But here's the problem: you don't get the God you want. You get the God who is. I got an email question, and just in case the emailer is listening to this today, understand I'm not making fun of you at all. What I'm saying is I, I understand these questions, but you need to think about it. question came, why aren't our prayers answered on the spot? Think about that. If your prayers and requests were answered on the spot, you'd be God. We're not him. Or God would be your dog. That you just give commands and the dog does, whatever you say. No. What if one person, one of his children's praying for one thing and one's praying for another? What if some of you have a picnic planned and you're praying for a sunny day and Brother Gentry would like to plant something and he needs rain? What is this going to be the battle of the prayers? Or do we believe that we give our request to God but we trust his wisdom in doing the right thing? Because we're not saying, you've got to be the God I want. We're saying we understand you are the God who is. Right out of the gate, Genesis 1 and 2, we have to learn that God is the only God that exists and that we have to conform our lives to this very important fact. Take a look at Genesis chapter 17, starting at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, "'I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless.'" then I will make my covenant between you, between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Now at that stage, he wasn't the father of anybody. But God said, no, I got this. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come. Does this sound like a God that believes that there are other options? There are no other options, Abram. This is the deal you get. I am the God. I've made this decision. You behave and walk before me blamelessly. Significantly, right after this, two and uh, Jesus comes to the tent. He didn't know he was Jesus at first. With two angelic messengers to tell him, you're going to bear a son. And when I was in Bible class, when I was a wee boy, they'd bring out the flannel graph figures there. And the flannel graph figures would rejoice with great joy. We're having a child. Later on, it dawned on me, wait a minute. At that age, I doubt they were jumping up and down. It was probably more like, really? Seriously? Why? You know, uh, it, it, but... They tell him, they also tell him that he is here to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Take a look at chapter 18, verses 16 through 21. Do we have that? Is that on the slide at all? It it is, good. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham, Abraham at this stage, walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him. Now, wait a minute. Earlier, it was God. Now, it's the Lord. They work in community. I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and our sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So we have God, then we have the Lord, Jesus, later identified, and they both say, I made the covenant, I made the decision, I'm gonna do this. The whole point being, you don't, when I was a kid, it was kind of like God the Father, then under him is Jesus, and under him is the Holy Spirit. No, no, they're one if you make an agreement with my wife, you've made it with me. In fact, a few of our houses, I didn't see until I bought them, because I don't care. I can live pretty much anywhere. I think my life has proven that, and she has standards. Uh, Plus, I would be traveling. I did a terrific amount of traveling. So, she would say, "I saw this one. It's like this." And I said, "Do you, you know, can we afford it? Do you like it?" And if she said yes and yes, then I would say, "We'll set it up." And I'd come by at the closing, then go see the, you know, my that that little corner. That one's yours. Okay, you know, I go over and I just behave, and and it's been working for 38 years. So don't knock it. You make an agreement with her. You've made it with me, and vice versa. This story, by the way, if you keep going with this story, it shows you something else. God will work with you. When Abraham said, wait wait a minute, what, what if we did it this way? God goes, well, what about this? And they work with each other. This is a God that reacts to your prayers, your entreaties. Our prayers can change the universe. But most often, our, chairs, our, our prayers change us. This Trinity, this Elohim, works together to bring us salvation. Deuteronomy 10, 17. I know we have a lot of scriptures today. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. This is your God. And if you take a look at that in the original language, the words are plural. The three of us are together. We are one. This is what we do. And then Deuteronomy chapter 10. He defends the cause of the fatherless and a widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God. The one is singular. The word God there is plural. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. I can remember a church fight. Uh, and it, it spilled over into a, a college lectureship fight. And it was over people who are praying to Jesus. Because the Bible just says pray to, to God. And they thought that meant God the Father. Somebody came to me and said, can we also pray to Jesus? And I said, if you're praying to God, you can't help but be praying to Jesus. Jesus. And to the Spirit. They are not separate. They are together. So, when we find the word Elohim, there's one other thing I want to bring up. It requires a response. Notice with with Abraham's covenant, it was, I'm going to do this, you have to do this. In Deuteronomy, I'm doing this, you've got to do this. It's a call and response. Like many of the old hymns and Americana music were, Why is it we call and respond? Because we have accepted reality. He is God. He is in charge. He is worthy. We will do what he told us to do. We will walk in his paths. To help us respond to God appropriately, we're given adjectives in front of Elohim. This is just a partial list. The everlasting God, the almighty God, the jealous God, the consuming fire... Merciful God, faithful God, living God. He is the great God. He is the gracious God. So as we go through this series, let's become reacquainted with the God who is. Several years ago, Kellogg's realized they were in trouble with their formerly most popular cereal in America. Cornflakes. Cornflakes were on everybody's table for the longest time until sh- cereals came out that were sugary and sparkly and had little toys in them, and they got, it was much more exciting. And cornflakes went away. So Kellogg's came out with a, an ad campaign they ran for a few years that said, taste them again for the first time. I'm trying to get you to go back to them. God continually will tell us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try this on. Give this a go. Walk with God for a while. Sometimes it's very valuable, even more than valuable, to stop, step back, and look at something or someone for the first time. Many of you saw it, you commented on it. I posted about an interesting day I had here where my truck didn't work. And so, you know, Cami couldn't get to me for a while. And so I just started walking. And I've had people since, we would have given you a ride. No, no, that's kind of people-y. So I I was, I just, you know, I've always thought walking's easier than standing still, so walking. And walked after a couple of miles, the 10% chance of rain broke into a thunderstorm on me. And, you know, this, that, and the other. And and the story continues. You know, our air conditioner broke, and that's going to be another thing. And just got out of hospital. And I looked at Cammie, and I said, some demon has got our, got our ticket and is trying to nibble us to death, like being nibbled to death by ducks. We're just not going to let it happen. In fact, instead, what we do when we pray is, thank God that we live in a place where there's a repair person. Thank God that I can walk along the road and safely. Thank God about this. Thank God about the people. We have so much to be thankful for, but you don't realize it unless you stop, back up, look at it, and look for why you're thankful. By the way... Married people, do that. Every so often, just stop and take a look at who you married. They're actually pretty cute. They're actually pretty amazing. But we tend not to see them unless you stop. We need to stop sometimes and realize not only is our church and our community and our blessings and our family amazing, we need to stop and say, look at our God look at that, God. One of the great things I, in my life is my grandkids. And one of them, one of the great things about the grandkids is, like Fenn, my uh, five-year-old grandson, this last week was with us for two days. We had a couple of them. And Fenn cannot wait to show you every bug, every bird, every creature, but then also remind you that God did that. And, he want, and we'll go, go through books and encyclopedias on animals because I have that kind of house. And they'll go through and, and he'll say, look at what God did here. Every so often we need to have the eyes of a child and stop and look back and say, wow, what a God we serve. Would you stand as I read from Psalm 38? I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light is gone from my eyes. That's who we are without our God. But if you read the rest of the story in Psalms, you see who comes to save us. The one God, the true God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Elohim, the God of Israel, the God of us. Amen, church? Live in this hope.